Hi, I'm Mike Lewis, the founder and managing editor of Where Peter Is, where we support the mission and vision of Pope Francis and discuss issues important to Catholics today. And I'm Jeannie Gaffigan, a regular old not smart like Mike Lewis Catholic, who is desperately trying to understand how my church is getting co-opted by politics, especially when we have one of the most incredible visionary popes of all time. This is the field hospital. This is where we tackle the tough issues facing Catholics living in the modern world. And we look to Pope Francis as the leader of our church, who is calling us to live out the gospel in a very clear way. And for some reason, people hate that. They hate it. Yeah. I, I discovered where Peter is when I was locked down during the pandemic with my family. And I was completely shocked by how politicized Catholics were surrounding the 2020 election and how many Catholics were against Pope Francis. And then the intersection of that, of this anti-Francis faction with right-wing politics, I really found sanity and a new community of fellowship with the contributors to where Peter is. Well, thank you, Jeannie. And yes. uh, we're lucky enough to have one of those contributors here with us today. Ooh. David Lafferty is here and he is going to help us understand what is going on with the QAnon phenomenon and how it's even infecting Catholics. So David Lafferty is an independent scholar from Ottawa, Ontario. He has a PhD in cultural mediations from Carleton University. He's published on right-wing modernism and conspiracy theory in academic journals, and he's a contributor to Where Peter Is. Welcome, David. We're so happy to have you here in the field hospital where a lot of people need medicine. I'm very, very happy to be here. Thank you for having me. So... David, welcome. David is our conspiracy theory expert for where Peter is. So David, today we are going to ask you about what is happening in Christian culture and in the church in this realm of conspiracy theories. Oh boy. Okay, that, for instance, that's for, a big question. <laughs> I, I, I just like I'm just to make that a little bit of a smaller question. For instance, David, there's something that I've been thinking about a lot. It's the um, actor Jim Caviezel. Now, we in the Gafkin household and also in the Noth household, which is my uh, maiden household, love Jim Caviezel, love the, the portrayal of Jesus and the Passion of the Christ. And recently, he gave a speech at a QAnon conference. Do you know anything about that uh, little thing? Yes, I, I know a little bit about that. I, I listened to the speech and listened very carefully to what he was saying. And, and it shocked me, some of the things that, that he was talking about. It seems to me that he fully on board with this, with this conspiracy theory. Like, how, how does that even happen? How does... How does seemingly devout catholic seemingly nice guy person of well interest connected he's in person of interest i mean it's like how did it, how did somebody who i guess was looked up to and i guess people still look up to him i guess it's 
it's just a sign that that this can happen to almost anybody or that people can be sucked into into these conspiracy theories. I think he's another example of what we've been seeing throughout Catholic media and in Catholic culture. There's a lot of people who we maybe formerly looked up to, formerly had a lot of respect for, even figures within uh, the hierarchy of the church who have, it seems, over the last, let's say, four or five years, become more radical in their statements, become more deeply reactionary, and then eventually adopt a sort of paranoid and conspiratorial way of thinking. And I think Jim Caviezel is just another one of these. He just happens to be fairly high profile, though, within Catholic culture. Now, this is this is something um, that I've been wondering about, because now you first brought up QAnon in the context of Catholicism back during the 2020 election cycle. And you happen to notice that a lot of the uh, symbolism and references that that the former papal nuncio to the United States, and now he's turned into this legendary reactionary figure, he used a lot of QAnon terminology in his letter to Donald Trump that he sent, I believe, in July of last year. And we did a we did a podcast episode about that. But and since then we've talked a lot about QAnon, but QAnon was a, an election cycle figure. But here we are. I mean, it's it's a year after the election. Like, why is QAnon still going on? And why is why are they still having conventions? And I mean, do they explicitly call it a QAnon convention or is that an underlying thing? Has QAnon changed since the election and since January 6th? Can you give a little bit of that background for us? Yeah, I, mean, I think QAnon, the, the QAnon movement reached its its climax in on January 6th with the, the storming of, of the Capitol. I mean, that was surprising even to people who had been following the QAnon movement for a long time and were worried about it. I don't think anyone really expected something on that scale to actually happen. So people realized all of a sudden, this is actually a very dangerous movement. Now, it wasn't just QAnon involved there. This was the whole MAGA movement, but there was a heavy QAnon presence at the, the Capitol. So now, after that, most of the QAnon accounts or you know QAnon influencers were banned from, from social media, and they've gravitated towards a number of other platforms that are free speech platforms, I guess they describe themselves as usually. And that's where they've been stewing. And what what's disturbing is it, it was a great idea i think to 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 shut these accounts down to shut these influencers down but because it, it really did bring down the temperature it really brought down the the prevalence of this kind of rhetoric in social media like on twitter facebook at the same time it it pushed the the really hardcore QAnon people into their own little enclaves where they seem now completely disconnected from reality and right. and not even not even caring you know what reality is at this point in some in some respects and so you, you get some of the the even the really fringy QAnon theories the things that were even too fringy for the sort of mainstream QAnon people like the the idea that JFK Jr was going to return at some point that he was not really dead and he was going to come back and help fight the the cabal that that yeah. idea has come up again and didn't, actually at didn't the like conference the people show up in dallas and wait for jfk jr to to reappear isn't that something that yes. happened recently 
Yes, yes. And <laughs> so it, it, it's really, there's been a movement towards the, the most extreme and, and, and really out there aspects of the QAnon movement. And it's unbelievable that someone like Jim Caviezel it seems to be following along with them. Like most people have dumped this now and are moving on to other strategies to try to gain political clout, but he seems to be right in there. And my, I don't know exactly where Jim Caviezel would have absorbed this material from, but the turn towards QAnon seems to have coincided with him starring in a, a new role. He's playing in, in a new movie. He's playing a man named Tim Ballard in this movie, Sound of Freedom. And Tim, Tim Ballard is a, a real figure who has been spending a lot of time with Jim Caviezel. And Tim uh, Ballard is, he's the operator of this organization called Operation Underground Railroad, wow. um, which is an organization that is ostensibly about rescuing children who are being trafficked for for sex in in foreign countries and it seems that in in somehow in the course of starring in this movie and promoting it he's ended up being sucked into this QAnon world and it's probably not a coincidence because of course child trafficking is one of the great obsessions of QAnon and it's become the the big motif and also a way that people who are in the QAnon movement can sometimes try to masquerade as as serious people. There was for a little while on on Twitter, a little while back, there was a save the children hashtag that was going around, and it seemed like it was maybe like from an organization that was was truly devoted to saving children from from child trafficking. But it turned out to be mainly composed of QAnon or related figures using this hashtag. And, and there's been a lot of concern among organizations that are genuinely devoted to child trafficking about right. this because... Because this, who, also, who isn't who isn't against child trafficking? I mean, yeah. that's a trap, right? <laughs> everyone everyone so, is against child trafficking, right, yes. I'll, I'll, I'll share that hashtag and then all of a sudden, before it, it's like I'm promoting QAnon. Yes, and, exactly. And going back to my my previous, like, is Q still doing Q drops? Is there still a Q on the internet, or is that over? And now it's just taken on a life of its own. Like, how? No, it's, what, what are the dynamics of this? It's it's over. It's it's done. It, it, it's 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 strange because there's really there's really nothing coming in in terms of like new data from any kind of source like Q that they can use to, you know, interpret what's going on. So it seems like they're just the QAnon people are just pulling data from anywhere and 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 trying to come up with theories about what's happening with Trump and what's happening with the cabal. I know there are some people who do still think Trump is going to be brought back to power somehow and that Trump is just pretending to be out of power, that he's actually still in power and those kind of those kind of theories. So and I don't know how they reach this, like through some kind of esoteric reasoning, but Pope I'm, Francis and, and and Pope Benedict. I mean it's yeah, Pope Benedict's it, the real Pope and and Francis is a usurper. It's it's a lot of that same same rhetoric. And part of it is just casting doubt all the time about was this really a valid, you know, election? Was it and it's the same in both cases. And if you if you cast enough doubt, sow enough seeds of doubt, eventually people start believing it was rigged, it was fake. So let me yeah. just really quick go back to what you were saying about the Tim Ballard thing. So so mm -hmm. Tim Ballard is this crusader against child sex trafficking. And Caviezel being a method actor is is hanging out with the guy, right? Has his ear. It's kind of like when someone, you know, has to, I mean, for a, a much, you know, more clumsy uh, parallel is like when someone like 
has to gain a whole bunch of weight for a role and they have to embody a character and get really fat. So it could be just got or sucked into this mentality because he, at the, in this speech, I mean, he was, uh, wasn't he like quoting Braveheart and like Reagan and what was going on there in that speech? Yeah, I, I can, I can speak to a couple of things there. I mean, first I do, I do think that's a really good point that he seems to be like a method actor. He gets completely into the parties playing and lives it and he Which may be for Jesus. I mean, that was a good one. But... Yeah, it worked very well. It worked very well there. And and now he's he's portraying someone, Tim Ballard, who I think is very theatrical himself. I'm not going to say that that Tim Ballard is uh, a QAnon guy. I don't know what what he believes in terms of if he if he holds to like any kind of conspiracies or anything like that. But I know that there have been questions of the effectiveness of his organization, Operation Underground Railroad, and and whether how much. Of what they do is simply theater and 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 hype and and how much is really helping children. There's some questions about that. But going going back to the the speech, I think this is really fascinating to me because uh, it taps into something that I've been noticing, which is a kind of Hollywoodization of, of politics that's going on, and that I think that has been going on for quite a while. So this the speech, the Reagan Ronald Reagan speech that Jim Caviezel uses or modifies for his speech at this recent conference. This is a speech from 1964 that, that Reagan gave during the Barry Goldwater campaign. It's known as the, the a time for choosing speech, or sometimes just called the speech. And it's very famous. Now, I find it interesting that, that Ronald Reagan was an actor himself, right? So here you have a, an actor, Jim Caviezel, playing an actor who was giving a political speech. And, and if you, if you look and listen to when Caviezel does the Reagan speech, he really takes on the style of Reagan. I came across a, a Fox News interview from about a year ago where he launched into the exact same speech on, on Fox News. And it, it, it sounded like it had been prearranged that he would go into this, but it was really awkward. He was like racing through it and it's, it really sounded frenetic, but you could tell that he's memorized this thing and, and said it a hundred times. The speech itself, this a, a time for choosing speech, Reagan was talking about communism during the Cold War and those who would accommodate communist or socialist ideas. He was coming more from the perspective of American free market individualism. But at, at the same time, there's there's a bit of a tinge of paranoia in that speech. There's a feeling that Democrats may not be just accommodating or appeasing the Soviet Union, but they might be something more. They could be like an internal enemy of sorts. Like there's a, a quote from the the Reagan speech you and I, and he's speaking to the his audience, he says, you and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve our children for this, the last best hope of man on earth, or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. Right. And it's it's very QAnon because it's <laughs> in in it foreshadows QAnon in so, in some ways because it's this taking politics to this incredibly apocalyptic level. Right at this time in 1964, there was a a writer named Richard Hofstadter, who, who published a, an article in Harper's Magazine called The Paranoid Style in American Politics. And that was in response uh, to this to the Barry Goldwater movement that Reagan wow. was, was part of. And he looked at the characteristics of this trend, and it was this kind of apocalyptic paranoia that comes up again and again in, in American rightist politics. And I have a, a quote from, from that essay, and he says, he's talking about the paranoid spokesman, so the, the person who's speaking on behalf of this paranoid worldview. 
says the paranoid spokesman sees the fate of conspiracy in apocalyptic terms. He traffics in the birth and death of whole worlds, whole political orders, whole systems of human values. He's always manning the barricades of civilization. He constantly lives at a turning point. So that gives you this idea that the it, with this paranoid style, it's always like we're at this crisis of civilization. We're fighting this enemy that is beyond evil, and we have to make like decisions now. Everything hinges upon this election or this. And it's Hofstadter saw this in the Barry Goldwater movement, but he also saw it in like McCarthyism, which America had come out of not too long before that. It it comes up again in with Pat Buchanan in uh, 1992 when Pat Buchanan runs for president. And he coins the term culture war. He gives a very famous speech where he talks about the culture war going on in, in America. And this idea of culture war, we still use that term. It's, uh, he, didn't, he, he coined it in the American context. It comes from a German context originally. But and he added another layer to it. And he brought in issues like abortion and gun rights and LGBT stuff, right? So, And then Trump later on comes in, he adds a whole other layer to this by amplifying things and taking it into the realm of social media. I think that's the real genius of Trump. A lot of what he said wasn't really new. It was stuff that Buchanan had been saying, McCarthy, these kind of people, all the, the hard right, but he he amplified it and took it into the social media realm. And that's where you get stuff like QAnon exploding because people are are taking it into this world of crazy conspiracy theory even further. So it's 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 the repetition of a pattern that that comes up again and again like an ad campaign it's like a reinventing an ad campaign it's like how many people are actually really crazy and how many people are sort of like wagging the dog you know what i mean it's kind of like this worked before now let's really bring it back and make it make make people terrified that the world's going to end and the deep state is going to inject microchips into all of our body i mean it's it's kind of like you know what I mean? It's like this cycle of how could we use the same ad campaign to sway people again, but this time on Twitter or Facebook. It's it's yeah. actually a, a very cynical strategy. It's, it's exploiting what it's exploiting a certain aspect of human nature, and I can I can see how this has become melded with American Catholic traditionalism. We talked a lot about the countdown to the kingdom movement. These, I guess these unapproved visionaries who are having these, seeing these prophecies about the world ending or World War III is going to begin. We talked about Father Michel Rodrigue a lot last year. It, I guess it's tapping into a certain aspect of, of the human consciousness. And I, I, I don't know if at the root of it is fear. I don't know if it's it's seeing their idea of a of a well-grounded moral society slipping through their fingers or 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 drifting away, but it's that whole cinematic aspect. I mean the three days of darkness that that gets pushed by certain Catholics or a lot of these Fatima conspiracy theories or even the idea of assassins in the Vatican. I mean, that was very sensational where Vigano writes his testimony and then supposedly puts on a baseball cap and sunglasses and gets on a plane 
for parts unknown while the Pope and his entourage are in Ireland. But I don't know. I mean, it's, it, very, it's very, it's very sexy, right? I mean, I, I, for lack of a better, it's like, it's like this, this making things a little uh, more dramatic and exciting. And it, yeah, for sure that I think that the, the basis of, is fear, but it's also this desire to be part of something bigger and more exciting. Uh, don't you think there's something to say about that, Mike? I, I mean, I, I definitely... It, I mean, the hat and sunglasses... Somebody, like when somebody looks and, back, yeah. when the sociologists look back at the, the first half of the 21st century, assuming the world doesn't end in October or whenever it's supposed to end next. But I mean, there, it's going to be interesting to see this mass... This mass hysteria. I mean, one of the things, obviously, that we're very concerned about at where Peter is, is it's it's ripping the church apart. I mean, the fact that early on people were saying, "Don't pay attention to these people. Don't. They're they're just the fringe. They're just making noise." But then when they're actively being used as part of the presidential campaign mm. to win votes, that seems like a really really scary thing to me. But David, and, to what degree do you think it's true believers? To what degree do you think it's people who are, you know, just purely exploiting human nature? To what degree? I mean, I, they're not, and it doesn't seem like any two believe the exact same thing either, completely. Yeah, it's it's a real mix, I think, of, of true believers. I think Jim Caviezel comes, comes across as someone who's very sincere. He seems to be a true believer. And at the same time, I think there's other people who are involved in this. I know Steve Bannon is one. I, I've I've come to the conclusion that he has very very little moral core because he's willing to push whatever lie or idea is is useful to him at, at a given time, and he'll push it as hard as he possibly can. So whether it's the election fraud stuff or he's 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 actually pushed a lot of stuff in the Catholic realm, criticizing Pope Francis and, and, and stuff about the, the China agreement and, and that sort of thing. I, so I think there are these strategists like Steve Bannon, and then there are the true believers. And, and I actually feel, I feel a lot of sympathy for the true believers who get caught up in this. And I think in a lot of cases, it's people who genuinely are, like have genuine moral concerns about certain things. With this whole the child sex trafficking thing that the QAnon is focused on and, and which Tim Ballard's organization is focused on. Th this is a real thing. The, the Vatican speaks out against child sex trafficking and human trafficking of, of any kind. Yeah. And, and it's, but I think people who are involved in this, in fighting this understand that it's a, a really complex global phenomenon that this tied to a lot of structural issues. So it's tied to things like, like poverty and homelessness and migration. Migrants are like migrant children are at very high risk of being trafficked. That's that's one very vulnerable population. But you know, with QAnon, they try to create the myth that the, the real problem is that ordinary American kids are being snatched off the streets by the cabal, right? And yeah, it's it's it goes back to the the whole satanic panic of the 1980s. And and in reality, the reality is that most children who go missing in the United States um, and in Canada as well are, are, are found again, right? So that these, these are kids who, are, who run away from home or are maybe kidnapped by a parent in, the, in a dispute, those kind of things. It's extremely, extremely rare that you get the cases that the QAnon people put forward, the people like where the kid is snatched off the street. So, well, and especially as part of a centralized conspiracy. <laughs> 
Yes, as but that's... To, I mean, yeah, I mean, things, I mean, there are terrible people out there who do these things. And I guess to some degree, there are networks and there are, there's obviously a trade of, of human trafficking. We hear about it, China, we hear about it in the, we hear about it in Central America, Mexico, at the border, there's, there's human trafficking going on, but it's usually done by groups or individuals who want to make a buck off other people as opposed to drinking the adrenaline or the, what's the, what's the word again? <laughs> Adrenochrome of the, yes. The, 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 idea and the actually, the so cabal. that was, I guess people maybe missed Jim Caviezel's adrenochrome talk in April or something where he, he made an appearance at another, at another event and was, and that, I, I think that was the thing he, yes. was, he was talking about Tim Ballard and Tim Ballard's work and the role that he was playing, but he was also, then he started to talk about the adrenochrome conspiracy theory about how rich and powerful people drink it, drink this chemical that comes from people's body, children's bodies to give them powers or strength or something. Yeah. And it, and it seemed like he might be getting this idea from his work with Tim Ballard, but I, cause that was the whole context of, of what he was talking about. But I'd like to, I'd, I'd love to hear from Tim, Tim Ballard himself, whether he agrees with any of this QAnon stuff and, and, and whether what his views are specifically on child sex trafficking and how it exists I've, I've in the heard, world. I also heard that it's, I mean, and we all have heard that there are legitimate organizations that are against sex trafficking of the type that actually does go on. Where, yes. I mean, I've, I have friends, missionaries in Moldova, where people come to the people's houses in poverty and they say, listen, you're a 13 year old girl and can come to be a nanny in, in London and we'll pay you however much money is more than they make in a year. And they think that their daughter is getting a better life and she's just being, I mean, this is a very common thing. Oh, yeah. There are organizations dedicated to stopping it. And they've been saying, hold on, the adrenochrome crew, you're pulling away from the actual problem here when they're, and then you get the, you know, guy back in 2016 with the AR uh, 15 to the pizzeria because he thinks that there's a like Oprah and Obama are in there like drinking baby blood in the basement and pizza shop. And it's what is going on here? It, it, it's like, how does this, how do we, because it sounds like I'm just mocking people, but it's this is like a serious thing that people are that out of touch with the reality and that we have these people who are like Steve Bannon and people who obviously don't believe this stuff, but are using these kind of methods to sway people to get, you know, into these big rallies so they can vote a certain way. I mean, it's just insane. And I, I understand it. I, I, I don't want to get uh, too off the topic because I know that I really want to get to the something really great that you said about the, the political becoming spiritual and spiritual becoming political. But I am really, I'm shocked that this is such a appealing to Catholics because I get the, the evangelicals, like the big tent, like big crush the devil and the children of the light and the children of darkness. But I mean, as a as a lifelong ca cradle Catholic, like I don't. I mean, when I think, especially with a with a leader like Pope Francis, who just has the clearest gospel based leadership vision, and when you think about Jesus giving the Sermon on the Mount, 
There is nothing like any of this kind of stuff. Like we're going to drag the devils down by the power of that doesn't really compute with where I thought that the Catholic faith was taking all of us. So how, what, you know, can you talk at all about the, the, the different appeals? There's different, like Catholicism is very different than, than evangelicalism. It's what, what, where's the appeal to the Catholics? of this kind of conspiracy thing? Does it, why is it so enmeshed in politics? Yeah, it's interesting because historically Catholics have often been more likely to be the targets of this kind of thinking, being a, a, a global religious organization with, with a Pope who is speaks infallibly under certain circumstances, right? So there's often been this, this sort of question about are Catholics, are they, really devoted to their nation or are they really devoted to the Pope, right? So there's there's often been that question about, about Catholics in the past, but here we're seeing some Catholics really get on the side of this this paranoid thinking. And, and it may be controversial for me to say this, but I do think that unfortunately one pathway that this has taken is through the pro-life movement. If you notice in the Jim Caviezel speech, he says, like he, he, he mentions child trafficking and abortion at the same time twice. So um, he's fusing these ideas of child trafficking and, and abortion as if they're, they're, they're similar, right? And I can understand the reasoning behind that to some extent, but I can also see how we have to be careful, I think, in because I mean, I consider myself pro-life, but I sometimes fear what some of the pro-life rhetoric has done to the way that we think and the way that we think about other people and the way that we think about the world, because it can become so apocalyptic when people talk about this is a, a matter of ending a, a genocide of the unborn. And when, when pro-life movement movements or elements of the pro-life movement use the, the sort of, you know, the graphic photos and graphic descriptions of, of abortion, I, again, I understand why they would do that because they want to impress this this point upon people that, that abortion is the taking of a human life. At the same time, we have to be careful because it can lead to a kind of idea that the people who, let's say, are, are pro-choice um, are like celebrating the death of babies or, or, or they love the idea of abortion. And so it's a small step to go from Democrats love abortion, they celebrate abortion, they cheer for abortion to they're also fine with child trafficking. They're also fine with drinking adrenochrome from <laughs> children's bodies, right? So it's a very small step. And I think we need to, to be very, very careful with that. And that's why I think maybe anyway, Pope Francis has been very careful to, he's, well, he speaks very forcefully on abortion sometimes. He's, he's taken great care to always speak of it within a larger framework of Catholic values and respect for life and, and not isolate it as some kind of apocalyptic issue that it's, we have to choose between the, the Republican culture of life and the Democrat culture of death or that sort of, that sort of idea. Right. So he's, he's really trying not to politicize it that way. And he's pulling back on some of the rhetoric that gets, that gets out there. So that's, that's, that is one way that I've seen it. I think, enter into the Catholic consciousness. And that's, I mean, and this oh, is maybe going off on a, on a side tangent, but as a, as a pro-life Catholic and to witness the people who I looked up to as pro-life Catholics for, for most of my life, to see them succumbing to 
this type of rhetoric to these kinds of conspiracy theories to see what's happened to pro-life leadership. I mean, maybe to some degree it was always there and I, I, I didn't pick up on it, but it's like now I'm part of me is concerned about the evangelism potential and how it's how it's being squandered when you talk about the dignity of all life the dignity of immigrants the the dignity of even the prisoner on death row i mean we just published something about cardinal bernardine for where peter is and he obviously had the consistent ethic of life or the seamless garment but basically affirming the value of all life and through that, through emphasizing that we really do believe in human dignity and, and everyone is made in the image and likeness of God, we granted it's a long process and, and it's hard to measure, but it's like, you you know, the idea is if we are able to build up a culture of, you know, then, then we can change hearts, then we can turn people against abortion, we can make people care about giving health care to those who need it, to caring about the poor, to caring about the hungry and the unemployed. And it, it's this, it's this holistic view and it's like Pope Francis was the first couple of years of Pope Francis's papacy. I really thought it's starting to come together. It's starting to like I can his message on human dignity is starting to resonate with people. But then all of a sudden, the quote unquote pro-life movement. For a very large part turned against him, if that if that makes sense. And and yeah. and I think it's it's almost embarrassing I mean, it's embarrassing because Jim Caviezel was one of our pro-life celebrities, right? He was one of the people who's who was out there defending the unborn, who wasn't afraid to speak about it. And now he's giving these impassioned speeches, first of all, bashing the Pope. We didn't mention that he that he did bash the Pope in that in that speech and wholeheartedly embracing this conspiratorial mindset. I feel like that's setting back the Catholic Church and the pro-life message. I, I, I don't know if either of you yeah. feel the same way or what your thoughts cool. are. Absolutely, because if you also, the thing is about both of these topics and another way that they're tied together is that you if you criticize the pro-life movement at all, you're automatically deemed as someone who like loves abortion and wants babies dead. You <laughs> just get demonized and the environment and people are like but that's evil and it's but you know i do totally see where you're coming from because these things like child sex trafficking and abortion it's they are these very very strong issues that it, it's almost like using it as a shield to hide behind in a lot of ways and saying there's actually like a reason why we should try to uphold the dignity of all people because then maybe people won't want me to get abortions and you're like oh no 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 that you can't say that because then you're all of a sudden anti-life or something so i think that you're absolutely right mike what do you think david yeah i i, I think the the sort of all or nothing um, approach of the pro-life movement can sometimes be destructive especially if if a politician is pro-choice they often won't call them pro-choice they'll call them pro-death or pro-abortion or pro, they'll use that sort of language. And again, I, I understand why that language was adopted originally, but I think it's now performing a function where it's 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 demonizing and creating a, a political enemy that, that's just beyond redemption. And I think too, I mean, the, the, the Caviezel speech has to be placed within the, con the context of the pandemic as well, because we have this whole vaccine issue and 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 QAnon and conspiracy conspiracy 
movements are all tied up in this as well. And and one way that the sort of anti-vax conspiracies have found a way into the church is also through the pro-life movement, right? So through the idea that the vaccines, that the, that there's a, a remote connection to to evil because the because of the use of cell lines for testing that are derived from an aborted fetus. It was through the pro-life movement that this came into the the church, the vaccine resistance. If you look at other religious groups, it often came in through through other routes. So it, it would come in, say, maybe in the evangelical movement or sections of the evangelical movement through the idea of the mark of the beast, or in some cases, it's just simply anti-government kind of paranoia or or that sort of thing, or or just ideas about poisons in the in the vaccines or mind control drugs and things like that. So it takes on these different forms, but it's all the same paranoid style. It's just it, in a Catholic context, it, it takes certain roots. And, and unfortunately, one of those has been through the pro-life movement because I think the pro-life movement really connects with, like the, the, the issue of abortion connects with people at this raw emotional level. And and so when that's, you can you can trigger Catholics in some ways, right? You can you can manipulate Catholics in some ways by by appealing to that raw emotional level. Well, and I mean, that's, I that's that's something that I mean the U.S. bishops when they met in in June it was I mean that was one of the issues it was this question over Joe Biden and receiving communion and you know it's like to me it's it's not it's not really my my place to decide or anything like that but studying the history of this issue what is being put forward by a portion of the U.S. bishops and it was a cause that was championed by Cardinal Burke back in, in 2004 and before that, it's actually a very banning or denying communion to pro-choice politicians is a specifically American, specifically niche interpretation of that canon law, canon 915 that they talk about. It's Pope John Paul II never enforced it that way. There's no, Pope Benedict did write a letter when he was still a cardinal, but it was a private letter. And and there, when he was Pope, he never enforced this idea. And so to me, I'm just looking at it from the outside and I'm seeing one, it doesn't look like the Vatican is really, this isn't a priority of the global church right now to tackle this question when it's, it wasn't, a, it's very, they've invented the question and the issue, and now they're trying to enforce it when we've got other things going on in the church right now. We've got, I mean, and especially like with the synod, the U.S. bishops are meeting and and apparently they're having a 45-minute discussion on the synod, which is a two-year process that's supposed to involve the entire church. And whereas the big contentious issue is going to be this document that doesn't even explicitly say anything about communion to politicians, but that's that's where it started. And that's going to be, however the vote goes, it's, the document is just a symbol. Nobody reads U.S. bishops documents. Like, they just stand for something. And that's, what this, that's what this is going to be. All this stuff seems to be like this very, like every, like this way to not get things done. You know what I mean? It's, it's very, I mean, talk about satanic. I mean, to me, it's a, or demonic, like, how can we, how can we prevent things from moving ahead? And how can we prevent people from working together? Exactly. Every single yeah. U.S. bishop opposes abortion, right? That's something they all agree on. They all agree on this. They don't agree on the communion question. So why can't they work together on 
abortion and stopping abortion rather than making a, a token cause out of bring first of all bringing attention to the fact that Joe Biden receives communion assuming he does and and it's yeah it, it it's it's the great divider diabolos i agree with it you. goes it goes back to this this culture war politics that that Pat Buchanan really popularized in the early 90s and it's it's still with us and the, and you, you have to find that that spot, that issue that that really sets people against each other. And abortion has traditionally been one of those. There's also like gun rights, LGBT issues as well. But here it's it's abortion. And then using the, the thing that's the most sensitive to Catholics, which is the, the Eucharist, right? So we're going to zero in on the Eucharist and we're going to put it in the context of this abortion culture culture war and then we're going to put it in the context of our political leaders in mm -hmm. an extremely polarized political climate i've 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 thought that this is is opening a huge can of worms and i think it's playing again into this this apocalyptic paranoid style i think that's what it's what it's leading to and some of the people who have been most vocal about this denying biden communion with bishop strickland in particular like the these are some of the people who have that Bishop paranoid Strickland style, I think. Who tweeted Jim Caviezel's speech. Yes, who tweeted Jim Caviezel's speech and, and seemed to have no problem with it. And, and said everyone should listen to it, and it was fantastic. So he's, he's an interesting character. Well, <laughs> yeah, I know that we, we can't like solve this problem in the last five minutes of our podcast here at the Field Hospital, but... What steps do you think that we can take as Catholics, as people who want to be in communion with each other to reach out to people in our world and our families who may be walking down this path, aside from just showing them love and understanding? I mean, it's, it's challenging, right? It's challenging to reach across the aisle and say, I, I hear what you're saying here about the, what's it called? The the adrenaline or whatever was it called? Like, <laughs> Adrenochrome, yes. <laughs> but I mean, I, I just, it is a little bit like, especially coming from a comedy, uh, you know, background, I, it's hard not to sort of laugh about it, but what solutions can we think about? Do you have any suggestions, David? Like, how do you get yeah. out of the paranoid apocalyptic mind? I mean, there's a lot of, of theories about that, about how to how to pull people out of this. One one thing that, that people often say is is that it's it's usually no use arguing with a person who is deep into this kind of stuff because mm -hmm. that'll people tend to double down on what they believe in if you if you confront them and and try to argue mm -hmm. against them on a sort of abstract level. That that usually doesn't work. But I think that what I've been thinking a lot about anyway is um, Pope Francis's encyclical Fratelli Tutti, and, and he's talking about forging a, a spirit of fraternity and and friendship and cooperation, solidarity among among all people all over the world. And and this is crossing borders, crossing religious face. And the way you do that is by finding areas of common ground. That's where you you, you kind of stake your claim for some kind of solidarity and i think that's the key is to find some kind of areas of common ground even someone who you just 
completely despise their political views, maybe you can find something that you agree on. Maybe you have like similar tastes in music, even if it's something totally irrelevant, that to, irrelevant to, to politics and religion. Maybe you, you both like baseball and you like watching baseball and talking about it. Find those things and focus on those. And then you can build some kind of trust, build some kind of rapport. And then, then you might have the possibility for real dialogue but usually dialogue that's not like debate because i find debate often doesn't go very far if you're talking to someone who's again deeply entrenched in something i think it's good to debunk this stuff for people who are like thinking about it and thinking oh this is interesting but i'm not sure about it it's good to debunk this stuff so that those people don't get drawn further in but for the people who are deep into it i do think it's it's about finding common ground then then starting some kind of easy dialogue that, that can eventually lead to some of those bigger issues. And maybe you won't be able to actually overcome some of these things, but maybe you'll make some progress and maybe bring the temperature down a little bit so that the goal is, you know, we should all be able to live together and not destroy each other, even if we hold really radically opposing ideas on, on certain things. So that's, I think to me, that that the, the Fratelli Tutti encyclical it, it dropped. And at first I was like, I was almost a little underwhelmed by it, but then it, it's, it took hold in my brain. And now it, <laughs> it's the way that I'm thinking about everything. And, and it's, it's, to me, it's, it's the solution to, to so much of this. And I, I do think that, that Pope Francis meant it to, to be that way. And one of the things that I think that we, that we can't lose sight of is the, the spiritual life, the power of prayer, the power of sacraments. As Catholics, these things are, are intrinsic. And I know I mean, it's one of those things where where you go to church and in a lot of areas, they're the anti-maskers sitting on one side and the people wearing masks sitting on the other, or you see the person who's been posting some of the stuff on Facebook that's in your parish men's group, and, but you are united by those sacraments and by a common baptism and by prayer and God can work miracles in our lives. I, I do worry about the future. I do worry about the possibility of a schism because we're so far gone, but you know, through, through Jesus and, and, and our lady, hopefully that will tear down some of these walls and, and build bridges because those are good Pope Francis <laughs> images, walls down, bridges up. And donuts after mass. That, that's one thing that the, the pandemic took away from us and which I think has fueled some of this craziness in the church probably is that after after mass and stuff, you don't have the little coffee get together sort of thing, or you don't get just that. Again, these, these are like very simple moments of coming into contact with other people through donuts and coffee. And they, but it helps to establish just some kind of shared bond. We um, like cake. We all like cake. We all like donuts. Most of us like tea and coffee and just sitting around and, and chatting. And, and that's a foundation. That is a real foundation. And, and we, can, we can build on that. All this stuff was really exacerbated by the pandemic. But it's also <laughs> an assignment for us, I feel like, because it's not a pilgrimage unless it's hard, right? So the pandemic really changed the trajectory of a lot of things. And it made people get into this kind of stuff, dig their heels in on either side, stick the flagpoles deeper on both sides. And it caused a lot of division. But I think that another, the, the Let Us Dream book by Pope Francis too, was just like, this pandemic was like an assignment. It was like, look what, what we can do. 
look how interconnected we all are. And unfortunately, some people chose to focus on the differences and the divisions and all this stuff. But I think that if there is a group of us that can unite around this and just light the candle and strengthen our bonds, I think that that's sometimes the best way to fight against the darkness, right? So, and cake. Cake. Yes, that's right. I think so that's, that a just, great, that's a great place to end it, right? Yeah, I think no. that just about wraps up the, uh, the yeah. podcast. If you if you like this podcast, please subscribe on the iTunes machine and the Google Place and the Spotify's and the. Where, I'll, I'll do better. And, and, and think and about every every one hundred subscriptions, we will mail you a Fratelli Tutti cake baked by my children. Oh. Who will be have been vaccinated before I allow them to touch it. All right, thank you, David. Sounds great. Sounds great. Thank you, Jeannie. No, thank you for having me. Thank you. I was just an absolute pleasure talking to you both. Pleasure talking to you. Same here. It's great getting together. It's like it's like it's like we're visiting with each other. One, one, two different countries, three different cities.